Welcome, everyone. Um, as Steve mentioned, my name is Dr. Sean Healy. I'm a clinical psychologist on staff at Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers. So today I'm going to, I'll tell you a little bit about us as an organization and the services that we offer. Uh, I'm also going to talk a fair amount about the stress that most of you are under and some practical things that you can do about that. And hopefully there'll be effective strategies. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm a psychologist uh, at Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers. I do a fair amount of uh, presentations like this, as well as uh, writing, try to get out as much helpful information as I can, uh, along with my colleagues. Uh, Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers, if you're not familiar, is a uh, nonprofit. We serve law students, lawyers, judges, and legal professionals in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We're funded by a portion of bar dues. So when you're all licensed, on the back of your bar card, you'll see our information listed as a resource for you. Because we're funded that way, all of our services are free. So we don't charge for anything that we do. Uh, our services are also confidential. So law students, bar takers, lawyers, legal professionals can come to us, uh, talk about uh, what is stressing them out, uh, talk about how to improve their practice or their law school experience. All of that is confidential. We have services in different arenas, uh, basically three different categories. Uh, one is recovery. So we have groups for law students, lawyers, and judges in recovery or interested in being in recovery from substance abuse or other behavioral addictions. We have law office management assistance, and that is uh, staffed by legal professionals, and they help typically solo and small to medium-sized firms um, with the practical end of starting, running, and closing a law practice. It's like the nuts and bolts of it. And then we have clinical services, which I'm a part of. And myself and the other clinicians on staff, we do things like this. We talk to people, uh, legal professionals, about the stress that they're under. We talk about how to take care of themselves, about their well-being, about stress management. Uh, we do short-term consultations in person or, well, it used to be in person. Now it's remotely. And hopefully one day it'll be in person again. Uh, we do referrals. We help people get connected with the resources in the community that would be helpful. Uh, we do workshops, groups, presentations. We try to be as helpful as we can uh, to the, the entire person. Uh, you don't have to come to us with a stress that is work-related. You can just come to us with whatever is bothering you, and we can try to help. In addition to the current groups that we offer, we're also constantly starting new projects or new groups. One such group is a bar retaker group. And so we're looking to start a group for people who are retaking the bar. So if that's of interest to any of you, or if it's of interest in the future, uh, feel free to reach out. All right, so let's get into it. Obviously, I don't need to tell you that studying and preparing for the bar is a stressful endeavor. Uh, it's helpful to actually pinpoint why it's so stressful, at least some of the, the sources of stress, because when we're aware of the source of a stress, we can then have some idea of what would be helpful in reducing or managing that particular stress. So obviously, law school is stressful for a variety of reasons. 
some of which are listed here, but also just studying for the bar is, is stressful. So you're in a high pressure environment, just like law school, right? Oftentimes you're feeling like a, a little fish in a big pond. Um, many of you, if not all of you, have at some point or are currently experiencing the imposter syndrome. And if you're unfamiliar with that, it's when you feel like you don't have what it takes to succeed while everybody else does, that you're the imposter and you don't belong. And oftentimes this is due to the fact that we're aware of our shortcomings, our faults, but all we see from others is, the, is what they show us, right? They put their best foot forward, the best version of themselves. And we compare that to all the things that we know about ourselves. And by comparison, we feel like we don't measure up. So you got that. Um, oftentimes there's a fear of failure or a fear of the unknown. If you've taken the bar exam already and have it passed either in Massachusetts or in other states, that can be a lagging stress of fearing that again. Or perhaps if you consider yourself not a strong test taker or you're just afraid that you're gonna fail the exam. Uh, and also just fear of the unknown. If this is the first time that you're taking the bar exam, this is the, the online version. So you're going to be uh, taking the bar exam in a new way. Uh, most people who have taken it in the past have not experienced the online version. So there's a lot of unknowns. You can't ask a lot of people about what it's like. Uh, in addition to that, you've got your time pressure. Right? You have a, a little bit of time to pack a whole bunch of information into your brains to prepare you for the exam. So that time pressure usually results in you eliminating other things in your life that are helpful, such as your social supports. So a lot of uh, bar preppers, as they're starting for the bar, they're not doing other things that they would enjoy doing, spending time with friends, with family, engaging in hobbies or enjoyable activities. So they cut that, that stuff out or severely reduce it in order to spend time studying. Also, when we, in general, when we're pressed for time and we need more time, we're often tempted to sacrifice sleep in order to have more time. So many of you might have consciously reduced your sleep or as a result of all the stress that you're under, you're getting poor sleep. Uh, when this happens, uh, in the short term, sometimes we we feel like oh I can I can deal with it for now because it's a, a short term problem, and once this is over, then I'm going to get the sleep that I need, then I'm going to get the social support that I need. But right now, I need to make an exception. And the problem with that thinking is oftentimes there's just another thing in your future to justify reducing your sleep or your social support. So the exception becomes the rule, and that leads to a whole bunch of negative outcomes. So hopefully going through all these stressors hasn't significantly stressed you out more, but if it has, we can talk about what to actually do, what you have control over. Um, so one is to set healthy priorities. Obviously when you're preparing for the bar exam, your priority is to do well, do the best you can on the bar exam. Your priorities also need to address you as a person, not just you as a future lawyer or as a bar taker, but what do you need? 
Um, so first and foremost, you need to recognize what you need, right? If, if one thing to have the intention to do well or the intention to take care of yourself in a stressful situation, it's a, an entirely different matter to have the tools and to utilize the tools necessary to do it. So it's helpful to recognize what you need as a human being to survive the stressful situation you're, un, you're in, as well as to continue to use those tools in the future. One thing to, to think about is what do you expect of yourself? Uh, do you expect yourself to be able to do something that is not realistic. And what I mean by that is, do you expect yourself to be able to retain all this information that you're cramming into your head with half the sleep that you usually get? Uh, if that's your expectation, I'm here to tell you that's not a good plan. Uh, if you sacrifice your sleep in service of spending that time cramming information into your head, what you're probably gonna find is that information doesn't stay there very long. Right? So, in the same way that sleeping with prep books as your pillow, that's not an effective way to get information in your head. The same way giving up sleep is not an effective way to dedicate more time to, to studying. If we don't get good sleep, then our ability to remember what we're studying goes down. So prioritizing things, recognizing what you need as a human being to function well and prioritizing those uh, those aspects of your, your well-being is essential. Another thing to, to remember is uh, even though studying for the bar is a short-term endeavor, uh, your career and the stress of your legal career is going to be uh, much longer. And so as you're uh, paying attention to what you need right now in the moment of preparing for the bar, that skill of recognizing what you need in the moment is gonna serve you in your future. Many lawyers and law students too, um, they get to a point where they, they hit a crisis point and they reach out for help, which is fine. Uh, our recommendation is always to reach out before you reach that point, because it doesn't happen overnight. It's a, it's a continual process. Your stress will build over time. So. The more that you recognize what you need in the moment, and the more that you utilize the tools available to you, you can prevent yourself from getting to a crisis point. And you can just have more well-being, general well-being, as you do the work that you're going to do. One of the things that comes up a lot for uh, people studying for the bar, as well as law students and lawyers in general, is this experience of burnout, like you, you're pouring in your energy and your time to a pursuit and you feel like all of your energy and your time isn't producing what you want it to produce. And over time, what happens is burnout. You feel like, why bother? And hopefully none of you have felt this as you're studying for the bar, but if you have, or if you're starting to feel this way, um, here's some things to, to look for. Well, first off, burnout. It's a, a physical and an emotional experience, right? It's a, this exhaustion. It's also a, a cognitive experience where you're, you're feeling cynical or detached, right? You feel like your efforts are not effective. 
and that no matter how hard you try, you can't accomplish what it is you're trying to do. So part of this is your expectations. If you expect that you're going to memorize everything in your bar prep materials and you realize you're not able to do that, you can start to feel like my, my efforts are not resulting in the goal that I'm setting for myself. Maybe that's unrealistic. But if this is the, the consistent experience that you're having, just feeling exhausted, right? You're not getting enough sleep. You feel physically and emotionally exhausted. You feel drained. You feel detached. You feel like, why bother studying anymore? I'm not retaining it. That's a warning sign of burnout. So if every day that you're studying just feels bad, right? If in comparison to when you first started studying, you felt more hope or encouragement, but now every day feels bad, that's a warning sign. Uh, if caring about small tasks in your studying plan feels pointless, that's a warning sign. Uh, if tasks that used to be easy to complete are now more difficult, or if you're having trouble focusing and you just feel more distracted as compared to how you used to feel. Also, if you're suddenly pessimistic about your abilities, if you were encouraged and now you get to the point where you're just pessimistic, you, you don't have hope for uh, your abilities or your, uh, your likelihood of passing, that's a warning sign. Uh, if you lack excitement or interest in other areas of your life, pay attention to that. That's a warning sign. And also, if you just feel physically unwell or exhausted, right, that's something to pay attention to because that's a warning sign. So what do you do if you've felt these, uh, these warning signs, if you've noticed them or if they're mounting? Um, my recommendation to you always is to focus on what you actually have control over, what you literally have control over in your life. Okay, I often talk about the surfer metaphor for this reason. So the surfer doesn't try to control the wave or the tide or the weather. The surfer only tries to control what he or she can do in response to the wave, right? What he or she can do on the board, right? The other things, the other parts of that equation are just accepted as outside of his or her control. And when we're able to do that, we can experience a, a rapid or significant reductions in our stress. Because one of the ways to most efficiently increase your stress is to try to control something that is clearly outside your control. So when we redirect our attention, when we recognize what is in our control, and the, the discouraging part of this is the list of things that, that is within our control is very small. The list of things that are outside our control, very long. So we're often distracted by that long list. But if we can recognize that our, our attention is there and redirect it to that small list of things that are literally within our control, and we focus our attention there and our energy there, that's when we feel a reduction of our stress. That's when we feel more empowered. That's when we feel like we can handle more. That's where resilience comes in, and we start to develop resilience. One thing that is within your control that I, I recommend everyone practice is creating boundaries. Now, a boundary is a stopping point that is self-imposed. 
That's when you say no, when you could say yes. When you don't have boundaries, you quite literally are giving control over to something or someone else in an important area of your life. And you're hoping that that thing or that person will take care of you or watch out for you. When we do that, uh, we feel uh, disempowered. We feel um, more stressed. We feel like we lack control in an important area of our life. So a boundary is when we decide to say no, when we could say yes. So for example, if you're studying 24 seven or you don't have a time when you stop studying, you might be studying and all of a sudden fall asleep. That is your brain's way of saying you've reached your limit. Thanks for studying. Good night. And most likely you haven't really retained what you've been reading the last half hour, hour before that. A boundary by comparison is to decide ahead of time, I'm going to stop studying at this time. I could do more. I could put in more time today, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say no. And then I'm going to redirect my time and energy towards something else that's more life-giving, whether that's relaxation or a hobby or sleep. When we feel like we have boundaries, we have a sense that we're controlling something important to us. Now, the thing about boundaries is that they're not necessarily easy to make and maintain. So it takes practice to make a boundary. And, and it takes practice to maintain those boundaries. Um, I could go on and on about boundaries, but I will not. There's much more to say. Let's, I'll just put it that way. Um, so other things that you can do to address your stress is to practice coping strategies. And I should have given you this warning ahead of time, which I'm often forgetting to do until this point in the presentation. And the warning is, I will, I will talk about a, a, a long list of strategies that are helpful, but you shouldn't do all of them. Because if you suddenly try to do all of these strategies, you would probably become overwhelmed and you'd stop doing all of them. So I do not want you to feel like this long list of strategies is yet another stressor to put on you. So if one of these uh, suggestions or strategies sticks out to you as a potentially helpful change in an area of your life, make a note of that. Practice one of those. Try it out. See what it does. And then if it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't, try something else. Uh, but all to say, if this long list feels overwhelming, don't do all of it. Don't do all of it anyway. Just take it step by step. And uh, these strategies are in different categories. So you might realize or, or discover that you know, one type of strategy seems to resonate more with you because perhaps you're, you're more in touch with your, your body or another one might be more appealing because you're more in touch with your thoughts. So just pay attention to that. First and foremost on my list of helpful strategies always is sleep. So getting good, consistent sleep. Uh, Sleep hygiene is just a fancy way of saying a good sleep routine. Uh, So if you get good sleep now, great, continue to do that. I should say that I 
I use a definition for good sleep to mean eight hours of uninterrupted sleep every single night. So by that definition, I do not get good sleep. Uh, one of the reasons is because I have small individuals who live with me who wake me up. Um, but even if you don't have children to disrupt your sleep routine, many of us don't get good sleep because we don't have a good routine. And part of that is because we don't value sleep as much as we should. So just to illustrate the point, if you need convincing, um, I often somewhat jokingly tell audiences that as a psychologist, I know that I could introduce all of you to the direct experience of psychosis. I could give you hallucinations, delusions, and remove your grip from reality. And I don't have to give you drugs to do it. All I have to do is keep you awake. It doesn't take that long either. So sleep deprivation will affect all of those uh, areas. In fact, poor sleep affects our memory, our ability to concentrate, our problem-solving uh, faculties. It affects our physical coordination, our emotional regulation. Poor sleep affects every area of us. So when you think about what you need in order to study, to retain information, to understand that material, the idea of sacrificing sleep in order to do more of that studying makes no sense whatsoever because you need sleep in order to successfully manage that material. So improving your sleep is a great place to start. And uh, in order to do that, uh, some, some tips on, on sleep hygiene is to have a consistent bedtime every night of the week, to have a consistent routine prior to bedtime, to do the same things in the same order prior to bed. Uh, to reduce stimulation prior to bedtime. So to shut off screens, take a break from that blue light in the screens. Uh, try to do some relaxation or some calming, uh, calming behavior as part of that routine, whether it's mood lighting, soft music, some meditative practice or deep breathing. Another thing is to, to use your bed or save your bed for sleep instead of studying in bed, reading, watching TV, social media, eating, what have you. If you reserve your bed for sleep, then your brain starts to develop a stronger association between sleep and your bed. And then when you get into your bed, your brain knows what you're intending to do. So all of these elements you know, add to your, your sleep hygiene, add to that routine to improve your sleep. Um, there's lots of other things to say about sleep hygiene. Um, what I will say is if you have trouble staying asleep, so you, you fall asleep, great, and then you wake up and you don't want to wake up. Uh, most of us immediately look at the clock and we see what time it is. We realize it's too early and then we do math to say if I fell asleep right now, then I could get, you know, excellent number of hours but now I didn't fall asleep now. So now I do more math and I recalculate. So all of that wakes our brains up more and it gives us anxiety that we're not sleeping. So if that's you, if you wake up before you want to wake up, my suggestion is to just not look at a clock, put your phones beyond reach, turn alarm clocks around. 
you can't see what time it is. And if you have trouble falling back asleep, try telling yourself that you don't need to fall asleep. You would like to fall asleep, but you don't need to. Sometimes that will reduce the pressure, the anxiety, and that will actually help you fall back asleep. You can reassure yourself that you've been, you've had tired days before. If you don't fall back asleep, you'll be tired tomorrow, but that's okay. You've made it through tired days before. And anything you do just to reduce that pressure can help you relax and help you fall back asleep. So again, there's lots more to say about sleep hygiene, but if nothing else, uh, please take away the, the point that your sleep is really important. And the more that you invest in getting good sleep, you're going to have uh, dividends across all areas of your functioning. Uh, another area that you have control over is exercise. So having physical activity right, will help you, not just physically, your physical health, but also helps manage your stress. So when we feel stress, our bodies are charged up. Right? Our bodies activate through the, the sympathetic nervous system. Right? It charges up getting ready for a threat. And our bodies don't know if that threat is, you know, worrying about a bar exam versus, you know, I see a physical threat that I need to run away from or attack. So our bodies are charged up, but our bodies need to be calmed down as well. So if they're always charged up, that starts to affect our health. Okay, it starts to make us feel exhausted. When we exercise, when we choose to engage our bodies, our brains have a clear sense of this is when I need to be activated. And then when I'm done with that, it makes a, the switch to that calming parasympathetic nervous system to calm our bodies down. So that can actually help us uh, regulate our bodies by actively engaging our bodies and then calming down afterwards. There's lots of other benefits of exercise, but in terms of stress reduction, that's a big one. Also, what you use for fuel in your body can help manage your stress. So when you're pressed for time, when you have high demands on your time, most likely you're not planning ahead. And when you don't plan ahead, in terms of like plan to eat, you're likely to not eat, to skip meals, or to just grab something that's available. And usually what's available and convenient are the less healthy options, right? The more processed, the more sugar, you might be using caffeine to compensate for sleep. Uh, the more that you are mindful about what you're putting in your body for fuel, the more likely you are to sustain your energy, to, to not feel that crash. Uh, you'll feel like you're, you're uh, using healthier fuel and exerting more control uh, over your day. So healthy diet can be very helpful, particularly when you're, um, when you're eating healthier foods, or at least a, a variety of healthy foods, uh, that will also help your concentration, will help your memory, right? It will help you retain that information that you're trying to cram in there 24 seven. Right. Uh, progressive muscle relaxation is a technique that focuses on your physical body, but has effects on your emotional experience and your cognitive experience. So this is a technique where you go through your body in major muscle groups, clenching muscle groups and slowly relaxing them. And what this does, it does a few things. 
One, it's going to help you to relax your body physically, which is going to feel good, as opposed to carrying tension. You just feel tense, right? That doesn't feel good. So relaxing your muscle groups feels nice. The other thing it does is your body sends messages to your brain in the same way that your brain sends messages to your body. When we consciously relax major muscle groups, that's sending messages to our brain that this is how I feel when I'm relaxed. My body feels relaxed. And when I feel relaxed, that's, that's when I'm feeling calm. So your brain starts to interpret your situation as, well, maybe I'm calm in this situation. Maybe this isn't as stressful as I thought it was. Because when I'm stressed, I feel tense. But I'm not feeling tense right now. I'm feeling relaxed. My muscles are, are relaxed. And you can start to feel less anxiety and feel less stress. Because your brain interprets that signal as, oh, I must be relaxing. I must be calm. So sometimes it feels like I can't directly control my emotions. Like if I'm feeling anxiety or stress, that's happening to me. I'm not deciding to feel that way. But I can, I can decide to relax my muscles. And that's like a workaround to then influence those feelings by focusing on something you have control over in the immediate. Uh, similarly, deep breathing is another way of focusing on your physical experience to affect your emotional experience. So deep breathing is diaphragmatic breathing. So when you use your diaphragm to take a deep, long inhale. So when you do this, you should expect your abdomen to extend as opposed to your chest. Taking a slow inhale through your nose and a slow exhale through your mouth and doing that repeatedly. Right? So if you do this right now, I won't know, but feel free to try this out. This is one of those things that you can do anywhere, anytime. No one's going to know you're doing it. You can do it while you're taking the bar exam. But by practicing deep breathing, one, you're getting more oxygen into your blood. Another thing is you are slowing your rate of breath. You're slowing down. You're also sending messages to your brain. And your brain interprets this breathing as, this is not how I breathe when I'm tense. When I'm anxious and stressed, I breathe shallow and fast. Breathing deep and slow, that's how I breathe when I'm relaxed, when I'm about to fall asleep. And as you start to breathe this way, you start to feel more relaxed. You start to feel calmer and less stressed. These aren't magic solutions. They take practice and if you never practice deep breathing only until you're in a very stressful situation, it's probably going to be hard to benefit from it. But if you practice deep breathing and these other techniques along the way, when you're not under extreme stress, then when you really need it, it's going to be more effective because it's going to be a, a practice that you're familiar with. It's going to be a skill that you have refined. A different type of stress uh, relief strategy is called mindfulness. So this is more of a cognitive strategy. This is directing your attention at the present moment. Right? So when we're anxious or stressed, we're often focused on the future. Right? We're thinking about what's next, what might happen, what might not happen. Right? If you're stressed about the bar exam, none of you are taking the bar exam right now. 
So if you're stressed about the bar exam, you're focused on the future, right? What's coming? Am I prepared for what's in the future? So the future is where anxiety lives. It requires your imagination. It requires you to imagine something that's not happening. The past, that's where regret lives. So if you're you know, regretful about something, you're living in the past. The present moment is where we actually are existing. And it's a very short amount of time because it keeps changing. But mindfulness is all about focusing our attention on the present moment. Right? So what am I experiencing right now? And the best way to do this is just to focus on your physical senses. What can I feel, physically feel right now? Do I feel pain anywhere in my body? Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? What do I hear right now? What do I see right now? Am I cold? Am I hot? Okay. And uh, going through your senses to direct your attention to the present moment, one that'll help you focus on what is actually taking place right now. Because uh, when we implement a strategy to reduce our stress, we have to do that in the present moment. Right? We are only in control of things in the present moment. We can't control the future and you can't control the past. So practicing mindfulness will really um, direct your attention at the time that you can have control of your experience, which is right now. Um, mindfulness also gives you a break from anxiety because if you're focused on the present moment, you cannot be anxious. You might not like what's happening in the present moment, but that's not anxiety. Anxiety, again, lives in the future. It requires your imagination. You might not like the present moment, but at least it's not anxiety. The more that you practice mindfulness, the better you're going to get at recognizing your needs in the moment. And when you're aware of your needs in the moment, then you're more likely to be able to address your needs sooner rather than later, which means if I'm having uh, a stressful day, if I'm more mindful throughout the day, I want to be able to notice changes in how I'm doing emotionally or physically or psychologically. So if I'm encouraged or hopeful during the morning, all of a sudden, you know, I notice at the end of my day, I'm stressed and cranky, but I can't really pinpoint what changed that experience. I'm going to feel like there's nothing I can do about it. But if I practice mindfulness and I can tell that, oh, I'm feeling encouraged, but something happened, and now I've noticed this change, I'm, I'm discouraged, then I'm going to be aware in the moment what happened, how it affected me, and what can I do about it, as opposed to looking back and wishing that I could have done something about it. If I'm mindful, I can actually do something about it when it happens or soon after it happens. And then I'll feel more empowered that I can, I can actually affect my psychological experience, my emotional experience throughout the day. Uh, so that's mindfulness. Uh, a different kind of strategy, a more cognitive strategy. It's called cognitive restructuring. So this is a strategy that focuses on our thoughts. All right, so first is being aware of your thoughts. The thoughts that are problematic are negative thoughts. We all have thoughts that sort of play automatically in the background. Psychologists talk about automatic thinking or automatic thoughts. And for many of us, we have negative automatic thoughts about ourselves, about other people, 
about the world, about our future. So first and foremost, you need to recognize what those automatic thoughts are, right? So if we're really busy, oftentimes we don't address them or really notice them. We're sort of focused on what we're doing or what we have to do next. So taking a little, uh, little time to focus on what's going on in my head, what thoughts am I having about myself, about my future, about the world, about others. And then recognizing, are those thoughts negative? Are those thoughts unhelpful? Are they not rooted in reality? So for example, if I'm studying for the bar exam and I'm feeling really discouraged about my ability to pass the bar exam, I might notice that I have a negative thought about myself saying, I'm not going to pass. I'm going to fail. I'm a bad test taker. I'm doomed. I'm not going to be a good lawyer. Right? That negative thought or those negative thoughts are not helpful. Right? They actually will impede my ability to succeed at the things that I want to do. So cognitive restructuring is, again, first recognizing what that thought is and then challenging or changing that thought. Now, there's different ways of doing it. You can challenge that thought um, with evidence or your experience or just with what you know. So you can put on your lawyer hat and challenge, you know, present evidence to the contrary. So for example, if my negative thought is, I always fail, right? That's just a repeating thought. I always fail. I'm a failure. Then present the evidence to the contrary. I don't always fail. I pass law school. You know, I pass exams in law school or I pass college, right? I have evidence to suggest that that thought is not true. Sometimes uh, the thought is um, uh, deterministic. I'm going to fail. Right? I'm going to fail the bar exam then challenging that thought. Instead of just leaving it, I'm going to fail the bar exam, change it or challenge it in some way. So changing it could be, I'm going to fail becomes the bar exam is going to be a challenge for me, right? That's recognizing the obstacle without determining the outcome ahead of time. Okay. So just by changing a thought slightly, you can start to feel a change emotionally as well as psychologically. So if your thought is deterministic, it doesn't matter what I do. I've already decided I'm going to fail. And changing that to it's going to be a challenge for me, that seems realistic. Well, of course, it's going to be a challenge. It's a hard exam. But now there's something I can do about it. It's not determined. So therefore, you can have more hope. You can have more motivation. And that can really help change your experience of that stress. So again, cognitive restructuring, looking at your thoughts, being aware of them, changing or challenging them to make them more realistic, more positive, or more, um, more useful. Social supports. So again, I mentioned that um, when you're in a time crunch, you're often cutting out things in your life that are helpful. So you might have already experienced this in law school. So if you look around and you realize I don't have any friends anymore, so I stopped talking to them three or four years ago, um, that's an indication that perhaps you cut out your friends when you uh, were under time pressure. But your social supports are really helpful. Uh, I would highly encourage you to uh, use your friends, your family, those supports in your life that you already have, as well as start creating more. So talk to other people who are prepping for the bar. Right. Um, 
talk to your friends who are not doing anything related to the bar because it's good to talk to people who have nothing to do with what you're doing as well as it's good to talk to people who understand what you're doing what you're going through that's good to have both of those uh, categories of social support uh, it's also helpful to talk to others about the stress that you're under so you don't feel like you're doing it or you're handling it all yourself so therapists is a uh, an obvious uh, suggestion coming from a psychologist, uh, but just trusted friends, that people who care about you, who are good listeners, it's really helpful to, to share what you're going through. Because even though the circumstances don't change, just by sharing your experience with somebody else and talking about it, that will lighten the burden significantly. All right, and then other things that can be helpful a different type of strategy or habits or procedures. So if you're more like a, a procedure type of person, then this might be helpful. So hopefully none of you work in a space that's like this. Most of us are working from home now. So if your home looks like this, I'm sorry for you. Um, but if your workspace, if your physical space is disorganized and chaotic, that will actually burn up energy Right? It's going to steal your attention. Your brain will, will waste time looking at that environment. And your brain will scan for threats. Like, is this stuff important? Am I supposed to be paying attention to this stuff? So a clear physical space is helpful. And also a digital space. But if your digital space is chaotic, again, that's going to steal your attention. Right? And you're going to waste energy when you could be devoting that to something more productive. Uh, it's helpful to know yourself, right? to know what motivates you. So uh, in terms of like helpful tips to, to stay focused and motivated, it really starts with knowing what's helpful to you. So are you motivated by encouragement? Are you motivated by rewards? Are you motivated by punishment? Right. So Knowing what works for you will be helpful in setting up your, your routine, your study routine, to help maximize your motivation. So for example, if, if I'm really motivated by uh, encouragement, then you know, scheduling a time to talk to a friend at the end of my day and tell my friend what I've done that day is a motivator for me to stay focused so I can tell my friend, this is what I got done. Also, what distracts you? So to the extent that you're able, uh, reducing distractions in your study space is helpful. Um, again, to the extent that you're able. Some of us are working out of our homes. Some of us have small children who like to interrupt us and uh, create noise. So there's something you can't control, but to the extent that you can, try to reduce those distractions. One way is to do one thing at a time, All right? So don't try to stay up to date on your news while you're studying for the bar exam or flipping back and forth, All right? Give yourself dedicated time to do one thing and then uh, allow yourself to do something else later. Uh, but when you're trying to do too many things at once, that's a natural distraction. Uh, another thing to know about yourself is how do you respond to discomfort? So for example, do you avoid? Is avoidance a strategy that you use 
when you're feeling uncomfortable. If it is, congratulations, you're a human being. We all do this. Um, but if you use it more often than others, or um, if you know that you're likely to avoid, you're going to be able to pick up that, that avoidance strategy, um, which should be a warning sign to address the thing that you're actually avoiding. So if there's an area of law that you're, you don't like, it's more difficult for you, then you're more likely to avoid it because it's uncomfortable. So when you notice yourself avoiding, that might be a time to, to set something up in your routine to redirect your time or to schedule a smaller chunk of time to address that thing that's hard or more difficult. Another way of doing it is um, uh, set up your day where you start off your day with uh, that area that you're, you don't want to do, right? It's the hardest thing. We call this the eat the frog technique. So you start off your day with the worst thing on your to-do list. And then after that, everything else in your to-do list seems easier and you feel motivated. Um, and then how do you study and learn best? So you probably have experienced this in law school and in college that some people really retain information well by reading it, others by speaking it or writing it or doing it. Right? So knowing how you learn best or how you study best is, is important, right? Do you need complete silence or do you need some ambient noise? Do you need to be around others or do you need to be by yourself? All of these things are helpful to know about yourself and then to the extent that you're able to try to control that experience. I already mentioned this a little bit, but multitasking, it's not a good idea. Um, it's not a, actually a, a thing. Multitasking, we can't, focus on two things at once. We can switch between tasks, but we can't do two things at once that require our attention. Um, so to the, the extent that you're able, try to reduce the temptation or reduce the possibility of multitasking. So don't have your email up while you're studying, right? And trying to go back and forth between the two. Give yourself uh, a chunk of time to do one thing and then schedule time after that to do something else, as opposed to trying to go back and forth. It's just really inefficient and you're gonna uh, waste time and, and energy as well. Another strategy is to, in addition to reducing distractions, is to tame the tasks that you have. So I mentioned the eat the frog technique is one way to sort of tame your tasks, right? To put something hard at the beginning of your day so that everything else seems easier. Another way is to break up your day, right? Not to schedule 10 hours of studying without any breaks, but to break up your day for meals, for stretch breaks, for, you know, bathroom breaks, for get outside and, you know, smell the air breaks, right? To, to do this on a regular basis, because one thing that this helps with, one is to, it helps us manage the amount of work that we have to do when we can see it in terms of you know, attainable chunks. It also helps our brains in terms of our attention and our um, distress tolerance. So if our brains know that the pressure we're under is going to end at a certain time, our pain tolerance goes up. Okay, so if I know I have to work at this difficult material for a half hour, and then it's gonna end because I'm gonna take a break, I can actually deal with that pressure better versus if my brain doesn't know when it's going to end, 
my pain tolerance goes down. My ability to focus goes down. So building in breaks is helpful for our, our brains and our productivity. Sometimes it can feel counterproductive because like, why not just work more, but actually working less to be more productive and helps our focus. Um, I already mentioned meet the eat the frog technique. This is uh, from a Mark Twain quote. It says, if it's your job to eat a frog every day, you should eat it first thing in the morning. And if it's your job to eat two frogs every day, you should eat the biggest frog first. So the idea here is to tackle the most unpleasant task first, as opposed to pushing it towards the end of your day when you have less energy, less motivation, you're more likely to procrastinate it and push it off. But if you do, if you tackle it first thing, your motivation is going to be higher the rest of the day. You're going to feel like you can conquer whatever is else, whatever else is on your list. Uh, and I already mentioned breaks. So um, feeling like you're chained to your study space, your workspace, isn't actually the best strategy. Feeling like you can schedule breaks and leave, come back, is really helpful. Um, I mentioned the distress tolerance. In addition to, to that, with your breaks, physically moving around can help our brains function differently. Where if we're stuck on something, it's like this problem is difficult or this concept is difficult, trying to just muscle through that is often the wrong strategy. What's often more helpful is to stop, to get up, to move around and come back and see if you can uh, sort of tackle it from a different uh, from a different perspective. Just moving around physically activates our brains differently. It can help us with uh, seeing something in a different way or problem solving uh, differently. So as I wrap up, some takeaways. Right? Remember to schedule time for yourself. Breaks, time to sleep, time to take care of yourself, time to connect with friends. Okay? You're not a robot. So don't treat yourself like one. you have needs and you function best when those needs are met. Um, the hardest worker is not necessarily the best worker. So sometimes working less is more efficient. It'll help you stay focused. It'll help you be more productive. Boundaries will help you say no. And it's important to set boundaries because you feel like you're in control, at least more in control in an important area of your life. Um, Coping, all those coping mechanisms that I went through, those are healthy coping mechanisms. When we don't have healthy coping mechanisms, we're more likely to go for an unhealthy coping mechanism, which doesn't take much time and gives you an immediate effect like drugs, alcohol, things like that. If you rely on an unhealthy coping mechanism, I guarantee your future is going to be problematic. Um, if you feel like you've got access, you have access to healthy coping mechanisms, then you won't rely on an unhealthy one. You can engage in an unhealthy mechanism, but it doesn't have to be a coping mechanism, all right? So other things other than drugs and drinking can be unhealthy coping mechanisms as well. You know, escapism, you know, video games for 10 hours. Uh, anything can be an unhealthy coping mechanism. So make sure that you have the, the healthy ones in place, and then you can actually experience other things without relying on them as your coping mechanism. Um, it's okay to ask for help. Like the fact that you're here listening to me, that's, that's good. Not just because I have an ego, but because like you valuing um, this material 
to take care of yourself and to manage your stress, that's going to be important in your future as well as your present. And healthy bar examinees make for effective lawyers and healthy lawyers. So what you put in place now is going to help your, your career in the future. So I uh, thank you for that. I thank you for attending. Um, I don't know if there are questions, but I'm going to stop my share. Actually, please note, um, feel free to reach out to me by email uh, or phone, check out our website. We have lots of resources on our website, um, but feel free to, to get in touch. Be happy to be a helpful uh, resource for you in the future. Um, let me stop my share now. And if there are any questions, I don't see anything in the Q&A, but Steve, I don't know if you had any, if you got any privately. I have not received any private questions, but uh, I would let, like to let the attendees know if you have a question, please either raise your hand or submit a question via the Q&A. Um, we have some time. And while we're waiting to see if there are questions, um, one of the things about uh, sleep hygiene that I didn't mention that I think might be helpful is when you're under stress for like a, a continual amount of time, you might notice a pattern in terms of what's difficult with getting good sleep. So many of us, uh, we stay busy throughout our day and that sort of like holds off the anxious thoughts. And then as soon as we lay down and try to relax and shut our brains off, it's almost like, you know, that barrier that kept up, kept the anxious thoughts at bay is now down and all of our anxious thoughts rush in. If that's your experience, or if that's a pattern that brings true for you. One thing to, to try is before you do that sort of wind down routine before getting to bed, schedule time in your day to worry. So like get out all your worries. Sometimes running it down, like getting it out of your head can be helpful. Then after you get it out of your head, then do that relaxing routine, then get into bed. Sometimes just giving yourself permission to, to worry and get it out can be helpful. All right, I see a question coming. It says, what do you say to anxious people who say, I have no time to exercise slash sleep right now, I'm too busy? That's a great question. Because um, quite frankly, that, that, that's a, a concern that most stressed out people have. It's like, I don't have time to put in something else. I don't have time. I already feel like my time isn't enough. So now you want me to take more of my time for something else. I don't have time for that. Um, my, my encouragement is when you have things like sleep, when you, um, when it, when it's a, when it's exercise or sleep, uh, it's this, it's counterintuitive experience that when you get better sleep or when you have, when you dedicate time to take care of yourself, you actually feel like you're managing your time better. All right. So when you decide to take control and say, I'm going to dedicate this time 
do a little exercise or I'm going to dedicate this time to improve my sleep. You actually feel like you have more control in your life. So even though you still have those demands that are put on you, when you feel like you have more control in your life, those demands often feel more manageable. Uh, not to mention that when you get better sleep, you're actually like physically, emotionally, and psychologically more prepared to deal with that, those demands. So uh, even though it's counterintuitive to say, you know, dedicating more time to sleep will actually help you manage all those things on your, your plate, it's true. Um, you'll be able to spend less time accomplishing your tasks if you're well rested then it would take you to do those same tasks when you're sleep deprived. And sometimes that feels like, you know, there's never a good time to make that switch, particularly when you feel like I'm just trying to keep my head above water, right? It's never a good time to suddenly switch to prioritize sleeping or exercise. So start small, right? For exercise, just start, you know, try to do a little bit of exercise, but do it intentionally, you know, schedule time, do it intentionally, feel like you're making a small step in that direction. And same with sleep. Just try to improve, you know, make, make small steps towards better sleep. And then you'll feel the, the effects of that, the reward of, of better sleep. And you'll be able to um, sort of manage the demands of your time a little bit better. So that's a great question. I appreciate that. see any more questions in the Q&A. Uh, so thank you again, Dr. Sean Healy, for uh, agreeing to do this panel. Uh, thank you to everybody who attended, and we look forward to seeing everybody at future PBA events. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for everyone for attending.